Hello, everyone, and welcome to Discussing Trek, a Star Trek Discovery podcast, an unofficial podcast about the CBS All Access series, Star Trek Discovery. Today, we're going to talk about the last episode of Season 2 of Star Trek Discovery, titled Such Sweet Sorrow Part Duel. So before we even get into, I guess, depth of the episode, I guess I should introduce Cal Jones first, because I have a question for him. Cow. All right. Well, hey, how's it going? And I want to know what your question is. I'm curious. You're starting early with the question. So, so my question was, did you know that it was going to be a part two when you brought up that question several weeks ago? Because I, no. I, re- I remember you mentioning that it may be a part two. No, absolutely. I did not. You had no prior knowledge. <laughs> I had no prior knowledge. So much so that I don't even remember bringing it up a, a couple of weeks oh, ago. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so I am like. 950 years in the future, not remembering that. So there you go. <laughs> but but let me go back and give you a proper introduction, sir. Like always, I'm your host, Clarence, and I'm joined by my fellow co-hosts slash Trekkies and starting with who we just spoke to, Cal Jones. How are you, dude? My brain is hurting from wibbly wobbly time travel. Oh, so God. I'm, oh, I'm going God. to channel my inner um, Jonathan and say, Dang it, I just don't like this uh time <laughs> you, you have changed your tune, man. What the heck happened? Well well, well introduce everybody else, we'll get into it. But I'm telling you, I, I I got a bottle of Tylenol right beside me for my headache. Wow. Okay. Well also on the podcast per usual, we have the Trek Storian, Jonathan Shorts. How you doing, man? That's the haza. Will you say you love me? What were you doing? <laughs> I said today is a good day to die. Oh, okay, okay. I thought you were doing the, the spot at the end <laughs> at of At least the... I think that's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Good, wow. Good. Okay. Glad to be on the cast. We're glad to be here. Starting to cast off right. <laughs> and also on the podcast. Like always, we have the Stargate story and Jeremy Barrow. How you doing, man? I am not going to attempt any any kind of language, uh, imaginary or otherwise. I'm doing great. Yeah, as always, I'm glad to be here. Awesome sauce. And guys, what we do here on this podcast is review each and every episode of Star Trek Discovery in somewhat excessive detail. In addition to talking all things Trek, if you like this show, tell a friend, bring someone else into the fold. We would love to have new people on as we are getting a lot of new people coming in now as the season has, you know, climax come to an end, wrapped up. Uh, I've seen we having a lot of a lot of new listeners jumping in. So we thank you guys for being on board. And um, yeah, yeah. So real quick, guys, do you have any news before we get into this review of Such Sweet Sorrow Part 2? Actually, I just was checking my Google alerts earlier, and apparently the filming for the Star Trek Picard show has begun. Oh, wow. Okay, okay, okay. So nice. I, I've heard conflicting stories on this because I thought it started Uh-oh. like a couple weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, uh, well, this was uh, well. Now I'm looking at the date. This is this was dated April 22nd. Oh, uh, well, that is today. So, so. today, yeah. <laughs> hmm. So, cool. I'm not, it doesn't say in the article like the date it started. Uh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, they have been announcing quite a few cast members uh, as of late. I wish I knew this lady's name. It's a lady off the show, The Newsroom on HBO. Have y'all seen that show? I've I've seen that one clip. <laughs> that is really awesome because I love Aaron Sorkin that that was played at the very beginning of the first episode of the newsroom and I know what it's about but I have I haven't seen it yet and I want to huh huh yeah he he's really awesome on there man well not him but what's what's the dumb and dumber guy name um oh I should know his name uh, Jeff Carey. Daniels Jeff Daniels yeah oh. he is freaking phenomenal on that show man he is great and also it has um Allison Peel is the woman that's going to be on the Picard series that they just announced and she's also on that show as well so uh, I think she'll fit right in the in the trek so it'll be interesting to see what they do with that show so and did I not hear or read that uh Jonathan Frakes is going to be he's going to be dragged I know he's directing a few episodes no, he's going to be in a couple episodes I would, I would think so yeah I, would I have, hope so I haven't heard that he's going to be in but I know he's directing like episode two or three and he's talked about the script as well that is really good yeah, I don't know. It would be good to have him on there, but I don't know for sure if he's going to be on there or not. 
Also, uh, I want to bring up a bit of news. So, um, IDW Publishing, of course, does all the Star Trek related comics, and they've had quite a few Star Trek Discovery comics uh, over the past couple of years. And they have announced a uh, uh, an aftermath, so to speak, to of season two of Star Trek Discovery. And the title reads, Unravel the Mysteries of Season 2 Finale and Star Trek Discovery Aftermath. Uh, of course, I said published by IDW Publishing. And it's a new three-book arc. And I'll just read the first uh, paragraph here. Following the shocking events of Season 2 Finale, the thrills of CBS' wildly popular Star Trek Discovery continue in a new three-issue comic book miniseries from IDW Publishing entitled Star Trek Discovery Aftermath. So I don't know what the aftermath really is since they're in the future and it may be interesting. So I'm sure we're going to talk about it on the show at some point. So uh just just putting that out there. And um I'm not quite sure when it's going to be out. Maybe sometime later this year. In August. In August. Oh, awesome. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. So we'll have some some more discovering stuff to talk about in August. So that's pretty great. All right, guys. Well, um. I don't have any other news. I think we're ready to try and t- dissect this, what, 63-minute-long episode of Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> so Okay, let me get my Tylenol real quick. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Your hands hurting already, man? Yeah, already, already. We, we haven't got into the nuts and bolts quite yet. <laughs> so, Star Trek Discovery, Such Sweet Sorrow, Part 2. The 14th episode of, of this season, which aired April 18th, 2019, directed by Alatunde Asasami, um, once again, who directed the previous episode, in addition to Point of Light, Point of Light, What's Past is Prologue, The Butcher Knife Cares Not for the Lamb's Cry, and just sort of the synopsis of this episode. The USS Discovery battles against control in a fight for not only their lives, but for the future, with a little help from some unexpected friends. Spock and Burnham discern vital new connections between the red signals, while Burnham faces one of life's harshest truths. The right decisions are often the hardest to make. So, guys, let's go around the horn. Let's start with you, Jeremy Barrow. <laughs> what are your thoughts overall um, thoughts on this episode? I enjoyed it. I really did. Um, I, I'm kind of agreeing with the, the time travel bit, how much it just kind of can it confuse everything and kind of mess everything up but as far as the actual episode was concerned i thought it was a great episode i hate time episode. <laughs> well let's go ahead and throw it to you jonathan since you and kyle have <laughs> such disdain for time and it's kind of new for kyle but we'll get to him in a second what what do, what do you think about the this episode man oh uh, man i absolutely love this episode even though i hate the time thing <laughs> I'll tell you how much I love this episode. I actually stopped for like maybe five minutes to try to wrap my mind around the <laughs> time, the concept of the idea that was being thrown out. Like I, I, I really like almost took a notepad out and oh, tried to draw a flow chart. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> like I was really intent on trying to figure this out. Like I wanted to figure this out because the show was so good. Uh, obviously I didn't because I hate time. Episode, but <laughs> yeah, it was a great show, man. Great show. Awesome. And uh, I guess last but certainly not least, let's go to the the time extraordinaire himself, the the historian. <laughs> and um, yeah, I'm kind of weirded out that it breaks your brain as well. So let's hear your thoughts on the episode. Okay this this episode. So so taking out the time, completely taking out the time. This could have easily been on the big screen. It would have been beautiful on the big screen. Yes. Cinematic. It was grand it was great moments it was character driven it had great special effects everything you want in a finale the time it it wasn't so much that the time story in in itself made my head hurt but what i thought at the end seeing them go into the future was is this the writers trying to escape all these criticisms that have been laid about how the discovery looks and where does it fit in the timeline, et cetera, and so forth and so on. And it was, 
if they were going and this was the intent from the beginning, this is what they were going to do, then great time story. If they use this as a scapegoat or a backdoor to get rid of criticism, then I don't really quite quite like it. And that's what made my head hurt. Hmm. Yeah, this this season, I guess we'll have a season review maybe in a few weeks, but this season it's is certainly been a big nostalgia trip. It certainly has been. Um and they're doing what I know you vocalized at the very beginning. Why put it in this time frame? And we'll talk about it, but it seems like they've tried their best to tie up all loose ends, <laughs> especially in that last five minutes of this episode. So overall, for me, I really enjoyed it, loved it even better in the the second watching, because it is certainly a huge, bombastic display of Trek on screen and the actual space battle, though co- incoherent at times. I thought it was really, really well done. And like you said, worthy of the the, the movie theater, actually. Spoilers. Red alert. All hands stand to battle station. I'll give you the right. You cannot destroy an idea. At ease before you spray something. Man, the, uh, again, I'm a sucker for space battles. And I I kind of agree. It, 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 at some point, it seemed like it was almost overdoing it. But, man, the the the... the videography in this episode was so good so good agreed agreed so uh i have many questions and even though i love the episode i have a lot of qualms with it actually and um maybe you guys do too we'll bring it up but but i'll start off with why in the heck hadn't they already finished making this daggum red angel suit did that just feel weird to you guys can i just say that the timeline of this season has thrown me off because I'm not sure like how much time we're dealing with overall. Like if all this, all this going on, like over a matter of like two weeks, two months. So I'm not sure how much time we're looking at. They've spent through the whole season. I I think they attempt to rectify that, but since none of us know star dates, (laughs) right? I really still have no clue what the time frame is. Now, if we had intimate knowledge of star dates, which maybe somebody out there does, I'm not that guy. Uh, we know exactly how much time has passed, but I think I remember it may have been you, John, saying that the star dates don't really mean anything anyway. So not really. I mean, some of the series tried to keep a consistent reference of the star date through and certain arc of the show but it's like we've had people try to go back and try to figure it out and it just kind of seems like it was just always thrown in there somewhere like there was no rhyme or reason why they started with this date but maybe they kept that date continued through the arc but then when a new arc starts it's a completely different star date there there was a formula I have seen and don't ask me to tell you what that actual formula is or or even where to find it, but there's like every number on the star date means something. It's like uh, Earth month, Earth year, or year month, day, time of day. So, I mean, there's there's like an actual formula. I don't believe it's like officially canon or anything, but I have seen one out there. But like Jonathan said, it's mostly just, okay, we're just going to put this star date 504.8. You call it a day. <laughs> What about you, Kyle? Like any thoughts on the last minute scramble to put the suit together? You know, the whole time I was watching them put the suit together, I was thinking, so was mom in the suit? Was this her in the suit? Who's in the suit? Head hurt. Tylenol. Oh, come on. <laughs> man. You thought, come on. You didn't think the mom was in the no, I'm serious because that, that, I'm serious. I am so not joking and, uh, here at all. I started at this point, started having my headache, seriously, of going back and saying, what, what exactly are you doing here? Because I'm seeing all these tapes of mom coming back and thinking, are you erasing that? And I'm still kind of confused. And I watched it two times as well, and I'm still a little confused. What about you, well, John? Were, any any thoughts on that scramble? Um, yeah. Well, not as far as like it should have been done already. It's 
my, my thing was like, did it really take that much? Like, yeah, they were they were putting panels on the suit. Like it. <laughs> <laughs> I just I, I don't know that it took that much, and then that many people working frantically to get it done. Like, and I guess along to your point, like. Did they really wait to the last minute to get all of that done if it was that important? Yeah. I think I have a better, a, a pretty good explanation for this. So, so what do you think? So I, I do think the episode suffers from a coherent sense of, of, you know, time, time frame when they build the suit and everything from it being a two parter. To me, if this was one long one hour and 30 minute episode or two hour episode, they probably would have showed them building the suit earlier in the episode but since this was like a separate two second part to this they really couldn't show that in the previous episode they waited to show it here or at least they made the choice not to show it so if they would just show them like doing some assembly in the last episode it would have made more sense but it's just to me it's just weird to me that they can't get this thing finished but queen poe can come and build this whole uh, apparatus <laughs> that they can use the power of time crystal before they can finish the suit uh, just feels weird. I don't know. Uh, it, it was good for dramatic purposes, but not necessarily good for timeline purposes. If so, that makes any sense. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Totally. Totally. So I have a question that I'm not quite sure on, but I want to throw this to Jonathan. Do we not have site to site transport in this time frame? You know, I don't know that answer. But I think we're to assume they don't because we've actually mentioned on more than one occasion, like, would it have been better to just use the transporter here? And they haven't. So maybe that is the case. Yeah. Maybe you can, maybe at this time, you can only transport from pad to pad. Or no, to a pad. No. To a pad. Well, didn't, no. didn't they transport the meteor? Yeah. They in, transported into the uh, cargo bay? Closer they did. To the end, they beamed Spock out of. And there's no transporter pad there. So. But, I'm, but I'm assuming they beam them to a transporter because we've seen them beam to the asteroid. Yeah. yeah. Maybe you have to go be either going from or to the transporter to actually perform a beam. beam well, Jim, that's right. They beam the space rock to the cargo bay. No, they, no... They, they didn't beam it. They like um, they no, like they, they, they towed it in. Yeah, they yeah. floated it. Too. Okay. Yeah, okay. Then never mind. Just as usual, ignore everything I just said. We do. <laughs> no man. No. <laughs> Well aware, <laughs> but you yeah, know, I guess they don't do site to site. I yeah. mean, that, that does explain a lot, though. If, if they if they can't do it, it explains a lot of stuff that maybe in the future track we look future trek we look at like, uh, why did you just like go do a site to site transport or something? You know, even with the suit going to the cargo bay, it seemed like they could have just beamed it there. But right, I don't know. <laughs> maybe they were maybe they were afraid that control might intercept the suit if they tried to. Payment, maybe. Cause see, that, my, that sounds feasible, but that was, that seems like something that would have been stated. Yeah. You know, mm, good some, point. Somebody, somebody would have said, hey, let's do site to site. Well, control might interfere and get the suit away. And like I said, they could have used that when the Admiral was in there with the torpedo. Like, she could have yes. closed it and beamed out. Yes. Or when Jet Reno's character was in there with the time crystal, they right. could have just, like, opened it up and beamed her out. Right. Or they could have just beamed the people from Discovery. <laughs> yeah. And, and, yeah. And technically, it isn't just a site to site going to be like you beam to the tra- transporter pad and then beam them somewhere else? I mean, it seems like they, I don't know. It seems like it's something they could have did. Maybe the technology, because we do know from the beginning of this series that the transporters were a new technology to them. Like they were still kind of. Well, now, how far removed is Discovery from Enterprise? 300 years, 200 years. Well, I mean, the Enterprise is here. No, I'm talking about like the, the show Enterprise, like the like from when time, the the Star Trek Enterprise takes place. To oh, Star that was Trek 100 Discovery. years, wasn't it? Because I remember in Enterprise, they were very reluctant to use the teleporters at all right. because they were kind of worried their molecules would be rearranged in a way that's not feasible for human anatomy. Yeah. So what would that be, know. 90 years difference? Maybe. Yeah, I think it's like a ninety or hundred years. Okay, difference. so they may have gotten past that point already. Yeah, so so I mean, I think it maybe was just an excuse, like you said, Jeremy, to, to for maybe Stamets to get hurt, so we can have Culber come back and say I'm staying on that uh-huh. on Discovery. Uh-huh. 
So that's what it felt like to me. They they gave him opportunity to get hurt so the doctor can. But there are so many other ways to hurt people. Like they just. (laughs) Yeah, true. I don't. I don't disagree. I don't disagree. So, well, you mentioned Reno a second ago, John. So let's talk about Reno's, I'm holding up quotes here, sacrifice. (laughs) What did she actually really do? That was such a big sacrifice. That was my point on the last show. Like, what what was going to happen? Like, was she going to die? Or was it just that she was going to see the future? And like, now we see her and she's okay. (laughs) Yeah. Cracking jokes. Maybe her sass protected her. (laughs) <laughs> good one or the showrunners protected her right uh, and, and, and maybe Sorry. it's something we'll see play out next season you know because they tend to do that uh, so she has time aphasia or something <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't make a lot of sense that uh, especially when we get to the point we'll talk about later when we have these these jumps of Burnham going back and that's one of her jumps is to go and save Reno yeah <laughs> <laughs> is she that important? I, I don't Maybe think we'll so. Season. Hey, there's no one that's not important. So uh, says the doctor. Unless you're wearing a red shirt. <laughs> well, true. <laughs> and then you're cannon fodder. Tell all the researchers that, that you're right. <laughs> so, so, well, again, let's, we talked about how awesome the space battle looked. So my biggest problem with the space battle is how it played out. And it felt dumb at first and not really coherent even though i thought it was uh, spectacular on the screen did the strategy make any sense or did they even have a strategy yeah i have a okay see i have a question about that whole thing too because the way number one was talking was that there was more ships that they had besides just enterprise and discovery well they retrofitted all of the shuttles and worker bees to be battle ready which okay, um, which like- also brings brings to my like, well, how much time are we working with here? Because that just doesn't seem like. And, and there's another point I want to bring up later about this whole time thing yeah. that you know it just like how long are we working with here? Yeah, because they had over 200 vessels supposedly. Right, and I'm just like, where'd all these come from? And, and again, and again, they can retrofit all these vessels, but they couldn't finish this freaking Red Angel suit. Like, <laughs> because they were busy retrofitting the vessels. <laughs> <All right. sighs> okay, so while we're on the space battle scene, well, and throughout this whole episode, like, one thing I've noticed that was subtle, but I loved was the music. Yes, it worked like, well in this episode. And that you don't notice it, but if you do, you love it. And it was most of it was the discovery theme. Okay. Playing at different tempos throughout the show. And it was really, really well timed and it added a lot to that space battle where if we didn't have that, I probably wouldn't have enjoyed it as much. Agreed. And it goes back to saying that a good score can make or break a series, case in point. Another series that we review. Don't go there, brother. Don't go there. That was a great, great song. No, 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 no. I'm not. I'm so not talking about. He's talking uh, about Doctor Who. Yeah, Yeah. I I knew that. Oh, okay. I I knew he was talking about. I thought we were talking about Enterprise. No, 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 no. I actually wasn't messing with Enterprise on that one. How dare you? And also, like, I, I, I will add that, like, if you have Spotify, go and check out the season one. I don't know if they have the season two sound, uh, soundtrack up, but the season one one is really good. And one of my favorite tracks is they do a chip tune version of the discovery theme, which is really, really good. Hmm. So again, on this battle, I'm, I'm going to harp on it just a little bit more. So, you know, I think they could have greatly benefited by two or three minutes of battle strategy planning. So we kind of fit, know what they're actually doing. And my example for for this is going to be um, Game of Thrones, which is back on the air right now. Yes. And for every big battle Game I can remember, Game of Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> and and again, like for every big battle I can remember, they almost always have a scene where they're doing battle strategy, so you know what actually is going to be going on when they're out there in this chaos. You can at least know what everybody's goals are, and it makes the battle make a little bit more sense, in my opinion. So, so 
I'm I'm kind of okay with it because the what I got from it was like they're still working on this suit for whatever reason, <laughs> and they're waiting on the crystal to charge, and they have to protect Discovery from the from Leland from Leland and his fleet. Yeah. So I think they're kind of in a circle or kind of around Discovery so to protect them, and then. I think the strategy changed when the queen somehow she offered. Yeah. Why? I don't know why the queen is like (laughs) under their security somehow. Like, how did she just walk and get a shuttle? Well, she just magically showed up on the ship in the short track. I mean, they still got out. So, I mean, it's just, you know. So she circumvents Starfleet security. Well, she has has diplomatic immunity, so she can do whatever the hell she wants. But she came up with this idea that they were using (laughs) some kind of lattice. The double team kind of. But but, but again, it goes back to my point, the lack of strategy. Like for the first 10 minutes of the battle, they were just like standing in stationary. Not moving, which I've never seen that before. I don't think no, in a in a battle. I'm like, why are you just sitting there getting pummeled? But they can't move because they have to. They have to. Protect why couldn't Discovery. they move? Why couldn't they move? There's because no. Because if they move, you you're gonna you're not gonna be able to protect Discovery. Like they they, they were surrounded. Are they, are they using each they other's shield? Not like a double shield around both of them. No, there's no it. double shield, no. Jeremy. <laughs> No, no, no. Well, no. I'm not saying like I'm just saying that like, like expand their shield. Like, do they join shields? I don't think like, they're capable of that. No, Jeremy, that would have like, been good writing. Yeah. <laughs> well, for anybody on the Star Trek writing staff listening, just call me and I got some ideas. Well, and be fun. at the same time, when Leela's ships arrived, like they like surrounded them at the beginning. Mm-hmm. But this so, is space now, which which. <laughs> Here's a here's a problem with space battles in general across any series show. Like you kind of forget that space is omnidirectional. So like I know they were surrounded horizontally, but not vertically. They so, yep. <laughs> <laughs> it was weird. We're surrounded. Well, there's a top and bottom here that you're not covering. Go <laughs> up. Which is why you're not moving. But I still maybe they don't have the navigation yet to go up and. Down, they can go just go front and back and sideways. Oh God, maybe. I'm not in this conversation. <laughs> I can understand your frustration. Like there, there wasn't a strategy, but I made myself okay with it because, like, I assumed they were surrounding the discovery, and they were like, "We're going to be shields until you guys finish what you're doing." Yeah, I guess it makes sense. And like you mentioned, you know, Poe doing her thing. Follow the queen. As Pike says, um, seems like she's the only one that's more awesome than Michael Burnham, actually, because <laughs> she can do everything. She's like this God character out of nowhere. I guess I'm all right with it. Yeah, I'm I'm going to miss her. I liked her character. Uh, I yeah. liked her character, but I couldn't get past her blinking sideways. That just bothered me. <laughs> Vertical and sideways. It just shouldn't. But it just that just I couldn't focus on anything but that. Yeah, I, I agree. It is. It weirded me out as well. So, I mean, again, in the battle, we have the Klingon cavalry in this, um, the cleave ship, which I guess we saw in the battle with the binary stars, but I do not remember at all. I read that, but this freaking huge freaking ship, like what the heck, man? What was you this? Know, what was this when we had the Klingon War last year? What what what, what, what was this at the finale? I don't of- care, but it looked it looked freaking awesome. It was awesome. Like it was a, like a ah oh, man, freaking awesome. <laughs> but I mentioned to Jeremy, like I'm with you. I I had no idea the ship was this big. No, that that was a shocker. Like where did that come from? What was that? Yeah, we that's had- a hard secret to keep right there. I thought the sarcophagus ship was like the biggest ship. Yeah, I thought it was kind of like the best ship they had, but apparently not, I guess. Um, and then, what happens when you get to be chancellor? Yeah. Well, well I'm going to throw this to you, Cal. So we had the, the, uh, the, the Saru episode where his Kelpian people were liberated. Mm. What, what do we think about these freaking Kelpians mm. already being I guess friends with the Bayou because they're piloting their ships and they're actually flying ships, but before they didn't even know space existed. So <laughs> when did they learn advanced space battle <laughs> tactics? All I can because say once is once again <laughs> All I can say is once you lose your fear, <laughs> oh wow, get so out it, of their way. 
So is there like just a whole planet now full of fallen ganglia because all these other <laughs> Kelpians have just gone to space to, to fight all these things they didn't know about 10 minutes before? Because, <sighs> like, once again, how, what the time frame thing is like, when do they learn to, to pilot, much less yes! fight, in these alien cruise ships? Like, dude. Well, didn't somebody ask that in the episode? Like, somebody said, when did they? How, yeah, matter of fact, Saru said, when did y'all learn how to? And there was no answer. <laughs> yeah, there was no, no answer. There's no answer. <laughs> Other than, I will never let you fight alone. Yeah, right. well, right. that's beautiful, but. When did you learn to do that? <laughs> and so I had a problem with this because I felt like it was a waste. Like that wasted precious story time. Yes. Because they helped nothing. Like they made it out like they came in like a cavalry, but like. It was pretty, but not helpful. It took away from the clean on entrance to me. Right. I agree. I agree. You know, I'm going to agree with you and I'm going to say why I, well, to cut, to, to add back up to what you just said if they are going to the future and we may not be seeing these characters again, why show this? Why spend that 30 seconds a minute yeah. when you could have devoted that for the strategy you guys were talking about well, a minute ago? Yeah. Well, well, I think I see why they were trying to tie the red signals into having a meaning. And this was one of their meanings was, Oh, we liberated the, the end. I know, but they were trying to say the reason she saved the Kelpian people was so that they can help them at this moment. Is kind of what they were going for. So, and but the only thing that I could reconcile, as I use Spock's word, reconcile <laughs> this is, you know, at some point, you know, his sister says one of your crew members could uh, message contacted us, right, to come help. Well, that that was um that was actually Ash Tyler, yeah. He went and got he went and got his he, precious chancellor, and he went and got the uh, the um, Kelpians, I guess, flying by your ships. The Kelpians, like who? Like it, I see if it was Tilly, because Tilly's like so hard, she wouldn't. Well, they're kind of in on it, so I guess you know these people are in on it. The Klingons are in on it, so let's contact them see if they can come help. Uh, there's so many problems with this episode. <laughs> Maybe they were the closest people there you need some Tylenol I got some <laughs> I mean this is just like logic story plot stuff that got on my nerves that, I mean I still love the episode I mean it's just like okay we're here on freaking we're here on the earth and we see fighter jets all the time and like give us a year we probably still couldn't fly a fighter jet you know give us 10 years most people probably still couldn't fly one well and then they're like all in space and kicking butt and <laughs> I don't know. But, you know, I, I've said this before. These last few episodes have seemed to be kind of tying up a lot of loose ends and, like, covering up plot holes. Right. Like, yeah. it seems that's been, like, a big focus. Like, let's fix this. Let's make sure this seems like, make sure this fits canon. Make sure this plot hole is covered. Like, they spent a lot of time doing that. And it kind of took away from the story, maybe. Hmm. See, see, I agree. And I will go <laughs> a step further and say that is part of the reason why I had that whole idea of were you doing this for the story? Or were you doing this to get away from, oh, well, how can you be so different and be set in the past? Well, Kyle, let's talk about another one of those loose ends that you guys mentioned. Um, Admiral Cornwell's sacrifice. Uh, the torpedo lodged into the um, the Enterprise. Uh, seemed like we had some similar. I remember in Voyager where there's like this... Um, this torpedo that was lodged where 709 had to like get some digits off of it to like save the crew. Uh, anyway... What, what do you think about this whole sequence and Cornwell's sacrifice? Maybe talk about Pike's interaction and number one in this whole scene. What are you guys' thoughts? Let's start with you, Cal. Mm, I will say that was another loose end. And I think to make it a bittersweet moment, somebody had to die. And she, unfortunately, was the most expendable. And because the, I know they weren't going to get rid of you know, one of the main cast that's going into the future. So somebody had to die and who didn't have a story point beyond this story, you know, that fell to her. So that, I just think she was an expendable character. I liked how they wrote her out. I liked how she went out with dignity and with purpose. I just want to know who the heck built that room that he had no blast effect to sit there and watch the room explode. Well, there was a whole thing. They couldn't get the blast shield down. 
And um, that's kind of what he was um, they were trying to do is somehow either stop the torpedo or the automated blast shield was not working. So, again, site okay. transport would I, fix I, that. I, 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 yeah. I got I got problems like this is where I had most of my problems. So the I don't get. So when the torpedo was lodged into the ship, like they 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 said, if it goes off, it will take. Or like four or five decks off the saucer? Yeah, off the saucer section. Like, are we to assume that one six by five blast door will prevent that? And I guess we are to assume that, but then when you see the ship after it goes off, they still lost that much of the ship. Yeah, well, so I why think, did she die? Well, I think the thing was if they wouldn't have got the blast door slash blast shields up, it would have took out even more of the saucer. I think that's what I got out of that. You know, through one door, like I mean, I'm, 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 I'm was think- the whole room built out of the blast door? Probably, depending on what type of door it is. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it has something to do with shielding too. Not only just the physical door. Uh, maybe they could it could initially initiate some type of shielding as well. So it was, I guess more about containment as much as possible because they knew they were going to lose some of the ship. They knew that was going to happen. Yeah, so it was just kind of right. contain it as much as possible. And probably not so much if the door closes, then the shield is activated. But if that door doesn't close, then the shield will not activate. Yeah, but you so we're this too. there was some kind of other shielding in place that would activate. Right. It's probably like, because that was my problem is like, all I understand the other. blast door, but what about the rest of the room? But, so like either, either that room was designed to withstand that kind of blast, right. and then what are the chances that the torpedo lodged in just that it, room? It, it's kind of like an if-then formula. This, If this works, then this works. If this doesn't work, then this won't work. So if the doors don't close, that shield doesn't activate, everything is blown yeah. up. And, and hmm. like I see it like this as well. Like You could easily tell. I mean, the turbo lift is right there, and the turbo lift runs everywhere. So if it blows up and can get into the turbo lift shaft, it's probably going to be more extreme than if it can't. Cause right, that's the way I see it, but I don't know. Because like in that same episode of Voyager that Clarence was just talking about, you know, when that when stuff happens in the turbo lifts in the Jeffries tubes, you know, it, it gets more spread out and more dangerous. So if they contain it as much as possible. You can save more of the ship. Yeah, Voyager was a little bit different just because that was like a time torpedo. Like mm. it wasn't really designed to just. Destroy it more or less, like right. But if it detonates in that in the in the Jeffries tubes where it was, you know, that spreads out to other parts of the ships just because of the way the Jeffries tubes are designed. Yeah, I agree. Point but taken. The, the time torpedo thing, it was going to affect. I mean, time effect is not going to be stopped okay. by any physical barrier. <laughs> part, part of my French, but a time torpedo or a photon torpedo is still going to blow shit up. <laughs> it doesn't matter when it's still going to happen i don't know it just i i, I couldn't but yeah i mean I, I agree though that that was a hard one to kind of wrap your head around but i do think it was kind of awesome how pike was looking out there and like all the ship was gone <laughs> he was looking just directly into space and 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 i think the real value in the whole sequence are the character moments <laughs> i mean you get some awesome interaction between cornwell and number one cornwell and pike those interactions are just freaking phenomenal and you see you know pike kind of embracing his destiny in that moment even making kind of the time uh, uh, uh analysis that oh this thing can't explode if i'm here because i'm i can't die later you know <laughs> i thought that was great so so many and Cornwell, cornwell kind of shot him down by saying well what if you're wrong yeah who else will die because you're not in a certain place at a certain time so right. exactly yeah. So can stuff. I just say this about number one? I kind of had this issue, and this is earlier in the episode when uh, Dittmeyer, I think her name is, was given telling her what they need to do to make this happen. And, and number one was like, I don't understand what you're saying. Break it down for me in plain English. So it's like, number one, the number one is supposed to be, I'm not saying she's supposed to know everything about everything, but should she have been able to understand what she was saying? You know, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I, I, I think it's just more about that character. Um, she's more of a down to earth, give it to me straight type of person. Uh, okay, and, and I, I kind of felt that through and through, even when she's having these moments with Cornwell. You know, uh, like I kind of looked at that. If that had been Kirk standing there, he'd have said the same thing. Because <laughs> Kirk was never a, like a science guy like that. Yeah, it, you see that all the time, where they're like. Um, 
when you thinking of somebody like Picard and Data, Data's you know, like, oh, shut up, yeah. shut up, Data. <laughs> <laughs> you know? so, so I think you do see that in Trek from time to time. Like, okay, give it to me straight. You know, what are you doing? <laughs> uh, basically, it's like Janeway saying that Starfleet for get out. Yeah, at ease before you start something. Right. <laughs> Okay, I can, I can. Okay, I can, I can let that go now. I can let that part go now. <laughs> and I do want to say one more thing. I don't know what it is about these high tense space battle moments that brings out the sass in everyone, but there was just like a whole lot of sarcasm going on through this whole thing, which I, which I enjoyed. I just thought it was funny. That it was just almost heightened when every when all this adrenaline's running, everybody's trying to yeah do all these last minute things. That's great because you've been hurt. You even heard it like from the doctor in sick bay. It's like, no, this is the time when I want to half ass it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was great. It was great. I think uh Reno had a good moment when she was getting on the turbo lift. Yeah, it's it's a lot of good sass in this episode. A <laughs> lot of good Get sass. Get off my butt. Get off my butt, sir. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, well, let's talk a little bit more about some of the story inconsistencies I felt. Um, why would they continue to pursue the wormhole that Berm has opened up with Leland on board and they don't know if he's been subdued, but yet they're jetting for this wormhole with the person they don't want on the ship. And it just felt weird that they were like, you know, maybe slow down a little bit and kill Leland first or something. (laughs) They just steady go for the wormhole. I'm like, he's the whole reason you're going into the future. You're going to take him with you. I don't know. Just feel weird. Just felt weird. Okay, so can I can I go one step further than Le- with Leland? Yeah, go for it. So, so we see the awesome, 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 totally awesome moment with Giorgio killing the control Leland. So, at that point, why did they still have to go to the future? That is my Tylenol moment. Huh. Why did they have to go to the future if he's gone? Because maybe they're not 100% year- sure it's all gone or control uh, is gone. Because okay. they, cause they, even in the, the where they're talking to Starfleet later, Spock asks them, you know, have we, it may have been asked Tyler to ask, have we eradicated control completely? You know, so maybe they don't know for sure. And this is the surefire way to, you know, prevent the, uh, the end of all sentient life. So mm, good point. But, but I will add though, that freaking non, uh, Giorgio Leland fight where the section of the ship was having gravity issues. Ah, that's like one of my favorite freaking Star Trek fights of all time. That is so good, man. So freaking good. Uh, well, let's talk about the, um, the whole premise of the, uh, time crystal burning out when they go to the future. Yet and still, Burnham makes five trip, five trips to the past and it doesn't burn out. So does anybody have any explanation on that? Like, was that? Did that make any sense to you guys, or am I just reading it wrong? This is just kind of the part of the show where I just kind of give up trying to understanding, and I was just enjoying it, just letting it happen, because you couldn't jump forward, but you can only jump back to places that you've already been, and I was really confused, and I just went, oh, okay, this is this is pretty. This is nice. Okay, um, so this is a part, like, I really tried to figure out, like, what happened, like, in it, I almost got there. Like you get to a point where you just like, okay, I'm done. But I almost got there. So, bear, see if you can go with me here. So she couldn't get, she couldn't program a destination into the future because it because it hadn't happened yet. Like she failed the very first time they tried to do this. She failed. She didn't make it to the future. But because she had the time suit. She went back in time to try to get put something in play so that when they got to this moment, it would work. And every time she would go back in time, it would leave a signal. There would be this red signal. It wasn't she wasn't trying to leave the signal, but because she would the way she got there or left there, she would leave like a red signal. So I'm assuming she like tried this five times. And each each time she had to go back and change something so she could make something work for her to get to this, make this point work. So what they were saying was what Spock was saying was, listen, everything is in place now, except the fact that we're at the point now where you need to go back and do all that again. So the timeline can continue. 
Because if you don't go back and leave the signals, therefore you don't have everything you need to continue. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Although it's just a confusing concept. So Spock mentions them being in a time loop. Right. And, and the way I see it, you know, you have, you can view time in a couple of different ways and we may need to talk to the historian to maybe clarify this, but it can be linear. It can be the same. Every time you go back and change something, it's still the same. Uh, sequence, except it changes the future each time you go back, or it can be like divergent timelines. To me, they're they're pretty much putting their foot in the stand, sand and saying it's one timeline. And right. maybe she got to a certain point at one time and got the time suit, went back and sent the first signal to the Hiawatha, and they still it still didn't fix anything. So the next time she just does something a little bit differently until she sends these five signals, and it cur- brings them to the current point they are now. Hella confusing because chicken before the uh, uh, chicken before the egg thing, very confusing, very confusing. Well, but what I must- found helped was what, well, if you let go, I think he, human nature is to like, like you you just you got to have the chicken before the egg thing happen. Like you got to have a a before and a after. But once you let that go, you kind of can understand it. Yeah, and you know if if we have anybody body that goes to church here, like. I see it like uh, th- what blew my mind when I was growing up and I was learning about God and everything. When they were like, there is no time for God. He sees everything. He sees the future and the past has already happened. Like that, like really blew my mind. And I, I can't understand that just like I can't understand this. <laughs> but you can see parts of the concept, which make you that you can vaguely kind of glimpse that, okay, I can maybe kind of see that working. And, you know, that's kind of what they're doing here. We don't know for sure how time works exactly, but okay. I think they can make it pretty plausible is what they're doing here. What was it? What did you say, Kyle? Uh, no, you want me, did you want me to take a stab at it? Sure. Go for it. All man. Right. So here we go. So here's, here's what I think. So, you know, if you just bear with me a little bit, so sometimes I think that people assume that time is a strict progression of cause to effect, but actually from a nonlinear, non-subjective viewpoint, it's more like a big ball of wibbly wobbly oh, timey wimey stuff. How we, uh. <laughs> really? <laughs> and thank How you for quoting Doctor Who. You're welcome. I aim to please. I thank blink. you. <laughs> Uh, yeah, like, I really thought there was a great explanation. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was, I was almost kind of, kind of by then. He got like to a certain point. I was like, nope, that, that's all this episode. It's a quote. It's a great one. It's a quote. <laughs> yeah, I knew where he was going with it. Um, of course, he read the five signals to Hawatha crash, the Terrellesium, uh being displaced, which they're saying is going to be a refuge in the future, which I don't really understand because if they change the past and they go to, to the future, won't everything be okay already? So why do they need a ref- refuge? Don't understand well, that. I kind of took that as because, you know, the mom said as a test, she moved that Terralisium colony as a test. So that that colony is in the future as well. But why send the signal there? It, it I didn't. That's the part I didn't get. Why burn them? Why would burn them go back and send the signal? Because to, to save if it. they didn't, yeah. Because yeah, if they okay. didn't save them from the asteroid, then they wouldn't exist. In yeah, to, they they don't say that in a breakdown. I wish they would have said that in a breakdown because they kind of showed it. They showed like them saving them from the asteroid. Yeah, yeah. And of course, the Kaminar people liberate to come help us at the end. But yes, but here's. Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Here's here's something I picked up from that. So we're going, and let's not get tied up in the time thing, but we're going to a future where there's no technology, so this data will not be taken by the AI. But guess what? Discovery screwed that up because if they're going to Terralisium, we left a battery there for them to turn the lights on, which is technology. No, but that doesn't matter because once they take the data to the future, the past is not going to be destroyed. Sentient life is not going to be destroyed and every everything's going to be flourishing as we know it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the way I see it. I'm like, to me, the moment they go into the future, the rest of the Star Trek timeline continues like we know it. Point blank. You know, the moment they go into the future. So to me, like the point of them saving Terralesium really, so really none of this really mattered. Yeah, to me, it, to me, the Terralesium part didn't matter. To me. But I don't know. I guess we'll see. <laughs> yeah. So, Kel- Go ahead. 
Uh, I just wanted to bring up a quick thing that kind of made me laugh was the uh, Giorgio and what's the security officer name? Nine. Nine. Yeah. The little the little uh little insult thing they had with Leland in the in the conference room. Mm-hmm. They're like, "You're a bag of AI components stuffed in a meat sack," and Giorgio <laughs> was like, uh, uh, "AI sausage," and she was like, "Ew." Yeah. Yeah. yeah they. Oh, those two are great like, together. Oh, they were, but was she like overly sassy? I was gonna say sexual, like Giorgio. No, always security officer. Oh like, no, like not to me. Said, when Giorgio said, "Would you like to join me and make oh, Leland yeah. scream?" and she was like, "Yummy, Yum, yeah." Wait, do you think they're trying to holler each other? I, I, I just know. that could just that did kind of feel like it's mm, a bit awkward. And then when uh, Leland said, "Where's my data?" and she was like, mm, "So many ways we could answer that." I don't know, maybe, but I just thought it made that fight so uber fun. It made it uber fun, man. That's the only thing I really got from it. Yeah, they were sassy. Maybe they were saying some outlandish things, but I mean, as witness, Giorgio was off to say outlandish things. That was different for none, who's been relatively reserved in this whole right. series. But I liked man, it, though. I liked it, too. And the fight yeah. was awesome. I, I just, what stuck out to me the most was I watched somebody get knocked down up. Yeah. Great. So good. So good. So good. Yeah, that was awesome. So real quick, uh, I want to talk about the actual jump that Burnham made. Very much 2001 A Space Odyssey or Interstellar-like. I thought the effects were really, really well done. And again, it just goes back to talking about the overall effects of this episode in general. Just phenomenal. You're not going to see anything much better from a full fledged, you know, um, movie that goes to the theater. So I, I just thought the, the money they put into this episode was just, uh, crazy good, crazy good. So let's, uh, does anybody have any other comments about the core of the episode before we talk about the aftermath just a little bit? Um, no, matter. well, let's, Talk about the aftermath where the, you know, the people who are left over go and talk to this, um, you know, shadowy figure from Starfleet <laughs> and they divulge not much about what actually happened. How do we feel about them? You know, Pike, Spock lying to, you know, this, this guy from the Starfleet. Does that just feel weird? The chin. The chin. <laughs> <laughs> It didn't feel weird. I, I felt like that was like kind of what it was a nice little prologue. Yeah, I agree. Kinda, you know, just just to kind of put everything, I guess, in a calm perspective mm. and clean up canon. Right, right. Canon. I don't know. It felt a little bit icky to me in a way because I'm like Pike Lion. It just doesn't feel right, though. You know, for the greater okay. cause, with, with not holding information yeah. is not lying. He didn't lie. Wait, he didn't. No, no, he just didn't. Discovery tell blew up. <laughs> they saw Discovery blow up. They didn't say if it was blown up in a black hole that they created, or it blew up a hole. Right. Fake news, man. <laughs> Fake news. Fake news. Alternative facts. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Yeah, so you know they have their little conversation, and I, you know, I'm kind of weird because I don't know because we've they've announced this Section 31 series, and I still don't know if it's going to be Ash Tyler in the current time frame, which that could be cool. It can make some nice interactions if they want to bring Pike and Una and Spock back. It could be pretty cool, but I don't know if they're going to focus it around him or JoJo. I think they're going to focus it's around JoJo. To be JoJo. That's what I thought. Huh. But he's the commander now. I'm so confused. So confused. But if it's Giorgio, he would be the commander then. But she's <laughs> in the future. Maybe she comes back. I don't know. Um, so 124 days later and Spike, Spock decides, Spike, <laughs> Spock decides to shave his beard and join the crew of the Enterprise. What do we think about, about this send off Pike? Number one, Spock, bittersweet. Are we sad? He should have never shaved. He looks too weird. <laughs> Yeah, I like him better with the beard. <laughs> I mean, don't, I do like him better with the beard, but it, <laughs> I mean, as they were trying to clean up things and patch things into canon, right. I think it kind of had to happen. And remarkably, he kind of would like 
I could kind of see that as a young swap. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. I didn't think they could pull that off, but they did. I think they moved his ears a little bit. His ears. Agreed. I I didn't look that close. I just saw a clean shaven. His ears were not that pointy before. Maybe because he (laughs) said. But But you know what they say. I've often heard people say, you know, you get a haircut. Another way to say that. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Well, they heightened his. (laughs) Yeah, I, I do think this shaving of the beard was very symbolic, symbolic of the sh- show Discovery saying, OK, clean slate. We're going to shave right. the beard of this show. We're going to shave all the cruff, all the things we messed up in, in your beloved Trek timeline. And we're going to the future. And, you know, things are as we know them for the most part. No. So let me ask this question. And this is kind of another thing that. This makes me go, hmm. This felt like an end of a show. <sighs> like the final episode of the final season. Yes. I fully agree. Like this wrapped the show. Like I don't see. Now it's a great way to start an entire new series. So now they broke themselves away from having to stay with canon because now they're going to move 950 years in the future where there's and- no canon. <laughs> right, and now they can just where, do where what they, they want to do. Canon. Right, they they write the canon seriously. Well, yeah, <laughs> but that that's the thing though. Nine hundred fifty years to me, I feel is too far. And um, uh, bear with me for a second. I think one of the things that makes uh, once you get from TNG on to DS Nine and on to Voyager, one of the things that make those series great is the fact that they semi-play in the same playground. Uh, I don't know right. if that makes any sense. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you have these loose ties. I mean, for goodness sake, uh, the first episode of Voyager takes place on DS9, on the station. So having those... And Picard is on the first episode of yes. DS9. Yeah. Yes. So having those loose ties it sort of brings a bond to the whole thing. And well, maybe their loose tie was this Enterprise past. So, so do we know for a fact if they landed 950 years in the future i mean i know that, that was, was the seventh signal that, i know that was their plan but i mean well, well the segment the seventh signal that? was that they're safe it isn't that they right <sighs> so i mean it's possible they could go like 400 years in the future yeah or you know meet well, up with picard in the new show well personally I, i'm hoping something happens to where they're not so far in the future so maybe the time jump didn't work out correctly. Maybe the five trips to the past fried out the crystal early and they couldn't make it 950 years in the future. Oh, yeah. you know, I didn't think about that. Yeah. Spoilers. So they're going to the future. So if, if they if they make it around a little bit after Voyager, I will be so happy. I'll be and then so they can happy. still well, no matter when they go, they can still have the EMH on there because he's still <laughs> he's the only one, no matter how far they go, who could theoretically survive that long. Well, data, maybe. But, you know, wasn't Data already killed? Oh, he did die. He did die. Well, didn't they say it kind of came back at the. Yeah, you're right. I think think there was like a wink and a nod kind of. Yeah, Data. You know, we may make another. We may make another movie. We don't know. (laughs) Nice, Cal. (laughs) (laughs) Data's twin, Data. Data, Data, and the AI. You're all saying it wrong. (laughs) Or we can just call it program. Right. So, so, so I don't think we got a clear tie to Calypso, and I don't think we got a clear tie to uh, Harry Mudd, which I'm, uh, I guess we won't see him again either. Um, so, uh, definitely a tie with uh, the brightest star and Runaway. Deep ties with that this season. Or maybe the deep tie to Calypso was sending them into the future so Kyle could be right. Mm, I still don't see how it ties to Calypso, but you, if if you said they went to the future early on, you're all right. You're all right. There and, you go. And they, you know, I made the prediction, but they didn't go in the way I thought they would go. I didn't. I never foresaw these the introduction of time crystals. <laughs> I thought it was going to be the spore drive, which takes them to the future. So I don't know. And you know, they they have said that none of this assists. You can't talk about this anymore. And you know, all the canon stuff is back how it should be, nice and clean. Um, so yeah, I, I really don't have anything else to say about this episode. I loved it. I thought that it was high action, well produced. Maybe the story was a little dupe, you know, not the 
best writing in some consistency point of views. It wasn't the best, but I still enjoyed it very much. Uh, does anybody else have any final takeaways about this episode before we kind of wrap things up? I uh, have a... Oh, go ahead, Kyle. No, no, no. Go ahead, please. Well, I, go, I have a couple of things I just made note that were very subtle things that I really enjoyed through this episode. Uh, number one was, you know, we talked briefly about the music, the musical score. I like that on the final scene of the Enterprise leaving the space battle that they played the original TOS theme. Yes. Real lightly. That was awesome. Um, the Golden Gate Bridge being all yes, solar panels. Yes, yes, that was so great. That was, so was great. awesome. Yes. I, okay, I'm, I'm glad you feel that way because I'm like, I'm pro- they're probably gonna laugh at me for like liking this, but to me, that was a great visual. That was great because you know what? We don't need cars anymore. We just show right. everywhere and transport everywhere. I I <laughs> love that in space, man. It was so good. Um, the next thing was uh, was that. I don't know if I'm going to butcher her name. You, 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 Yora? Lieutenant Yora? Yeah. Was that the young Yora? Was that what we were supposed to believe that was? On Enterprise? Yeah. They briefly showed an African American female there, young. I did not notice that. Oh my God. I had to go back and watch it now. And she had the little white (laughs) thing out her ear. Like, don't do that to me, man. I'm going to have to pull it up right now. I'm telling you, I think it was. And the last thing, uh, didn't you just love, 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 like at the very last when Pike says hit it? Yes, yes. That was all. Pike is the man. They say that all the time yeah. now, aren't you? Hit it. Okay. <laughs> Pike is the man. Yeah, wait. Yeah, I mean, this is a good send off of Pike. That's because of tr- uh, problems. You know that, right? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that. No, I was, was, was an excellent exclam- exclamation point on just a phenomenal season from Anson Mount, man. This season would not have been a, what it was without him. And I, I, everybody's pining for him to come back. So <laughs> kudos to him. Great job, man. Great job. Uh, absolutely kudos. The only other thing I would add is yes, I have said, you know, hey, it gave me a headache, et cetera, and so forth. I was actually kind of just playing whenever I said that. It did. There were some things I did not like, but ultimately I enjoyed this. It was fun. It was great. And it's actually made me excited to see where they go next season. So mission accomplished. Yeah. Yeah. Another season is in the books, folks. Um, And we'll go around a horn and see what everybody is working on. If it's not a podcast, what have you been watching? What have you been listening to? Um, you know, give us your parting gifts. What do you have to say? And let's start over there with Jeremy Barrow, man. What you got? Um, nothing podcast related. The only thing I've been watching is I've been catching up on Gotham here lately because I know that's actually ending here soon. So I've been trying to, I'm like halfway through season two, so I got a ways to go. But, um, but besides that, that's where I just work and that's, that's my life. Have we seen the bats yet in his bat suit? Are we going to see one that? more that's episode? Supposed, yeah, that's supposed to be the last episode. No, they, they show that they're pulling a small view here. <laughs> well, we kind of no, knew that's going to happen when they announced the show. <laughs> it was it was Batman Smallville. Uh, yeah, but but I think he's actually going to be in the bat, and I know they'll there will be well spoilers. Ten ten year jump at the last episode, oh. right? And they, they've actually recast the role of Selena Kyle, the one who's supposed to play uh, Catwoman. Interesting. Yeah, at, at that actress's request, yes. And I really respect her for that. Right. That was that was a good that was that was a great call on her part and very a mature call. Is she yes. just like way too young right now to pull it off? She she's basically a teenager and she didn't feel like she could portray someone ten years older than her realistically. Uh, Agreed. But like- I have seen a picture of the of the actress that they have playing her, and she could pass as an older version of her. Interesting, interesting. It's just like it's just like Henry on uh, The Walking Dead. To me, he didn't. It was a time jump. To me, he just looked the same. <laughs> I don't know. Agreed. So, so John, man, uh, what are you working on, podcast or otherwise? Oh man, absolutely nothing. Uh, just working. Uh, but I'm watching. I started DS9 over again, so that's always awesome. And I watched for the first... I can't believe I missed a Transformer movie. So the uh, last night, or what is it? The Return of the Night? 
the last Transformer movie they made. I, I is it the last it. one? Yeah, you so. like the Knights of the Round Table thing? <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen like, that one. Was I, it when did that come out? It's been like three or four years. Like, I, I can't believe I love the Transformer movies. I can't believe I missed one. Dude. Like I was getting ready to watch Bumblebee. The la- yeah, the last night. I was getting ready to watch Bumblebee on Amazon because I hadn't seen it. And then I was like, wait, this is one I haven't seen. And I'm only halfway through it because I had to stop and go do other things. But so far, it's been like one of the best ones yet to me. So can I semi-spoil you? This is not a spoiler. I'm not going to talk about that movie. But, oh, I, spoilers doesn't bother me. But Bumblebee, to me, is the best Transformers movie. To me. Is it really? To me. If you like OG Transformers, you are going to be giddy as a schoolgirl. I loved it. <laughs> I would pay to see Jonathan be giddy as a schoolgirl, actually. Come see me watch the DS9 documentary. I was planning on it anyway. Yeah, and hopefully we can get a roundtable going, maybe meet up. You know, after we've seen that, maybe talk about it. That'll be fun. Yeah, yeah. And last but certainly not least, we have the Who Story and Cal Jones. What have you been working on, podcast related or otherwise? Well, I would direct people, if you've listened to me, make Doctor Who references in this and want to hear more of us talking about Doctor Who, you can check out Discussing Who, which we recently, this last episode, uh, celebrated 150 episodes of Discussing Who. So uh, check us out at DiscussingWho.com. Yes. What about you, Clarence? What are, what, what are you working on yes. or watching? Yes, I will point everyone uh, to point their browsers to relativitypodcast.com where we're about to wrap up season four of relativity. And if you have not jumped on now is a great time. So yeah, definitely check out the relativity podcast. It's a lot of fun, a sci-fi serial podcast for your ears and mind. And yeah, that's all I have. So guys, if you, um, want to follow us we are at discussing trek on all of the social medias if you want to send in feedback send it to fans at discussing trek.com again i just asked you guys to spread the word about the show if you like it and you know also check out our patreon page which can be found which can be found at patreon.com slash discussing trek and yeah guys we finished another season of star trek discovery so until next time guys live long and prosper Thanks for listening to the Discussing Trek podcast. For more information, go to discussingtrek.com slash subscribe.